There's no such thing as guilty pleasures, only pleasures. And I think Van Helsing Prep is a real pleasure. You've seen it? Yes, in your character, it's reminiscent of Tess of the D'Urbervilles. Thank you. And welcome to an all-new episode of No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. I'm your host, little-known cartoonist, (laughs) Ken Holtzhauser. And today we're going to go through some of the back alleys of pop culture and find pleasure in some of the strangest of places. So please, join us on this journey. Let's go! Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. I'm your host, little-known cartoonist Ken Holtzhauser. And today's episode is going to be about, well, it's another episode where we're going to talk about something I love, uh, but a segment of it that is not at all universally appreciated. Um, And while it's tempting to talk about a larger period of time, I'm going to focus on a favorite television series of mine, Doctor Who, and a a difficult time in its time period. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the trial of a Time Lord. All upon the Valyard to open the case. By order of the High Council, this is an impartial inquiry into the behavior of the accused person. Would it be too much to ask what all this is about? The accused will remain silent until invited to speak. The accused? Do you mean me? The doctor is an incorrigible meddler. Examples of the criminal behavior of the accused are fully recorded in the Matrix. I am Lord President of Gallifrey. You can't put me on trial. You have brought disorder where order reigned. I was on Ravelox trying to avert a catastrophe. The crime was in being there, Doctor. Your immaturity is in not realizing you had broken a cardinal law of the Time Lords. This is a serious trial. It is not serious. It's a farce. A farrago of trumped up charges. You'll have the opportunity in due course to rebut any or all of the Valiard's charges. Oh, the Valiard's charges. Your points of law are spurious. Your evidence weak, verging on the irrelevant, and your reasoning quite unsound. I have a feeling I am being manipulated. The events took place, but not quite as we've seen them. The evidence is being distorted. And who would do such a thing, even if it were possible? The Valiard. The Dostress. I have battled against evil. Against power-mad conspirators. Daleks from Tarans. Cybermen. They're still in the nursery compared to us. Ten million years of absolute power. That's what it takes to be really corrupt. The Doctor is fighting for his life, Valiard. I was taken out of time for another reason. And I have every intention of finding out what it is. all the dramatic courtroom action that you think of when you think of outer space adventure. Um, okay. For people who've listened to this podcast a lot, uh, yes, I am a longtime fan of Dr. Who. I discovered it in the late seventies slash early eighties when it started playing in the States on PBS. Um, and, uh, the first three to four seasons of Tom Baker just kept playing over and over and over again. 
and uh, it was the beginning of a love affair that'll never, ever go away. It's really printed in my heart. Um, I grew up in the 1970s, and all of my heroes, all of my television heroes, were exemplary examples, whether it was uh, two-fisted heroes like Captain Kirk or James West or James Bond. There was always, um, they were always super confident and macho, and there were always ladies swooning, and as a bookish, nerdy little kid, it was very difficult for me to see that as a role model. Uh, so I was primed to discover Doctor Who. I was primed to a science fiction adventure series about a misfit. The character of the Doctor is um, is silly, not enormously competent, kind of childish, um, occasionally quite goofy, uh, and is also the smartest person in the room, um, but res- never resolves anything through superior uh, force. Uh, I think it was uh, Craig Ferguson who described the series as intellect and romance over brute force and cynicism. And that's as good an example of uh, definition for Doctor Who as I've ever seen. So the 80s rolled along, and I stayed a super fan. I was getting magazines devoted to Doctor Who. I was getting um, program guides, or any time Starlog magazine had an article about Doctor Who, I was there for it, watching the reruns over and over with joy and gratitude. And um, I was there when my hero changed into a different actor. I was there. I discovered the concept of regeneration in the the paperback books that were coming out where they would describe the fact that there used to be other actors that played Doctor Who, but it had not occurred to me that this was something that was ongoing until uh, my hero, Tom Baker, uh, regenerated into a new actor, Peter Davison. And I was at first... Uh, concerned that I wasn't going to be a fan of the show anymore, but within a half hour of Peter Davison as the new Doctor Who, I was back to being enchanted by the program, and I really enjoyed his performance. At this point, I think everybody in the world felt pretty sure that Doctor Who as an institution was going to last forever. There was never going to be a chance that somebody was going to be cast that the audience wouldn't like. Everything's fine. Then, when Peter Davison left the show, uh, actor Colin Baker took over as Doctor Who. I remember seeing the first pictures of his uh, incredibly colorful, uh, tasteless costume uh, in Starlog magazine and thinking, this looks like uh, Willy Wonka on acid. This is going to be so great. I'm very excited by this. But uh, unfortunately, the creators and Mr. Baker himself had settled on this idea that really works well for longevity, which is that the character of the Doctor was going to start as a very surly, cranky character and that you would gradually warm to as the series continued. You would realize that he is, uh, he's pragmatic. He's not angry. He's not, he's not heartless. Uh, in fact, he's got a very big heart, but he goes about it in a very different way. And it's 
daring storytelling for the 1980s. It's the kind of thing that you would do in a story arc in the 21st century for sure. In fact, a lot of streaming television series and binge-watching television series are built on the idea that your main character grows over time from slightly unlikable to incredibly likable. Uh, unfortunately, at that time, I think the adventure, the, the boys' own adventure format of Doctor Who made it very difficult to convey this because all of the writers really, when you're putting together a season of a television show, look for a hook to hang it on. And when everybody said, oh, this new Doctor Who's going to be slightly unpleasant, all of the writers latched onto it with both hands and decided that the Doctor was going to be bad-tempered and sulky and insulting and angry and petulant. And it was all the things you kind of didn't want to see out of your heroic character. It could have worked and should have worked beautifully, but they didn't understand that you have to... If you're going to present the lead character in this way, then you have to make him the unshakable moral center of the story. You have to, as an audience, know that he's right to sympathize when he's not being pleasant. And the show had a difficult time with that. There is even the suggestion that has come down through the years that the script editor of the series, a man named Eric Sayward, wasn't a particular fan of Colin Baker being cast. And I think, I don't want to say sabotage, but there's a lot of stories during Mr. Baker's first season where the Doctor is more marginalized than he should be. And it has nothing to do with the Doctor's performance and just everything to do with the fact, uh, the way that the scripts are being uh, shaped, I think would be the way to put it. To that point, and to the point that to compete against uh, American programs like the A-Team, the show is becoming slightly more violent, and violent in a Doctor Who way, not violent in a uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of a way, but it was enough for the press to latch onto and for the new regime that was running the BBC to decide to cancel the program. And so in uh, 1985, I think it is, they decided that Doctor Who was done. It was, it had seen its day, it was over, goodbye. Happily, the British press, and in fact, um, the newly created cult that was growing overseas, got wind of this, got very upset, and started to uh, harass BBC management over this short-sighted decision built entirely on the fact that they wanted to use the budget of Doctor Who to create a brand new series called EastEnders. So, since that was the plan anyway, they quickly shifted their PR tactic to say, the show's not canceled, it's, we're just going to put it on hiatus for a year and a half, and it'll be back, and don't you worry, um... They told everybody that they felt like the show wasn't as good as it used to be or wasn't as good as it could be and wanted and felt like the show needed to change. Now, the problem with that is that that's just PR smoke and mirrors. Truthfully, the new people, the new regime at the BBC didn't understand or appreciate science fiction as a television genre. In fact, it's been said by people who produced other programs for the BBC that they were guilty of uh, short-sightedness, of only crafting 
um, productions that they themselves liked and not understanding that as a public entity, the BBC should cater to all possible audiences. Just because it's not in your taste doesn't mean it's not popular with other people. I would think running a television network would be a nightmare in that regard. You would want everything to appeal to you, but you would have to make sure that you're creating things that you yourself don't like, but have to create things that you know other people will. And that seems like a mysterious uh, idea. So, with absolutely no direction given by the BBC, Doctor Who took its 18-month hiatus and then came back with a new shorter season of 14 half-hour episodes. And in 1986 decided, the decision was made by the production team that they were going to put their public perception on display for the world to see by crafting a 14-episode serial called The Trial of a Time Lord. Deciding that since the show was on trial by the audience and the BBC, why don't we show it that way in our uh, fiction? Which is not a particularly good idea. And Colin Baker himself said that it was the kind of it was kind of a self-defeating idea where you're daring the audience to say, you know, something negative. The seri- this particular uh, run of episodes uh, received um, a strong negative reaction from some fan circles. And in fact, the, the entirety of the Colin Baker era gets, um, well, it doesn't get the kind of love that it perhaps should have. I think there was a, a serious um, miscommunication between the show and its fans. I think the intent was there. Obviously, uh, Colin Baker, as a performer, has, and you can hear it in the audio clips, he has a strong oratory and a rich voice. And uh, if you gave him slightly more lovable, if he was a lovably pompous character, um, I'm thinking immediately of the character from MASH, uh, Major Charles Emerson Winchester III. Uh, Major Winchester, incredibly pompous, but not so pompous in a way the audience doesn't eventually love him. He can be a little bit of a heel, but in more of the everybody rolls their eyes and go, oh, that's him. And you could easily have gotten away with that with Colin's doctor. I think the, um, the issues they run into is the need to create an antagonistic relationship with his co-star uh, is a bad idea. I think not making him the strong center of the stories is a bad idea. And um, uh, anybody with eyeballs would look at his costume and say that Willy Wonka on acid is not a... (laughs) It's not a way of making your character look serious. You don't look like the wise old man of the universe when you're dressed... um, like a clown and it's unfortunate because none of that is in Colin Baker's performance it's all uh, production ideas that are out of his hands and thus the trial of a time lord ended Colin Baker's run as Doctor Who as his contract was not renewed for further seasons he then um, unceremoniously was let go by the BBC and it's 
And again, there's they gave no indication of what they wanted to see different about the show. They gave no indication of what they wanted to see freshened up. So the production team created 14 more episodes of Doctor Who and slashed the budget and threw them out to the wolves. And it's it's unfortunate. I personally think The Trial of a Time Lord, the 14-part story, is uh, is actually pretty entertaining. There's, there's uh, a lot of unnecessary padding because of the courtroom aspect of it. Uh, unfortunately, the story, it's built around four separate stories that are interrupted by uh, trial scenes that sort of summarize what you've just seen. And if you think that sounds redundant, you're right. Um, plus, the courtroom scenes are shot in a static and not very interesting way, so they don't really add anything to the overall drama. You're, you're getting yourself excited and that you're following this story and then everything has to stop so that we go back and watch pointless bickering from admittedly fine actors. Michael Jaston plays uh, the prosecuting attorney, the Valyard, and I am a fan of his uh, from the film Nicholas and Alexandria. I absolutely love his performance in that movie, so he's a very welcome presence and an, an actor that can really kind of go toe-to-toe with Colin in terms of uh, shouting and emoting at each other. Their their segment, their chemistry is good. Uh, it maybe would have been better in smaller doses because, again, it all just kind of stops the overall flow of the story. But, especially looking back now, I think... Uh, I would like to think that modern audiences are watching these stories because the Trial of a Time Lord season has been freshly put out on Blu-ray and it looks fantastic. And I think, I'm hoping that newer audiences are finding all of the things to enjoy about that particular uh, season of the show and and not looking at the negatives. I think that uh, the late 80s, especially for Doctor Who fans, was a cynical time we were seeing um, fan press really starting to reach a fever pitch, and they were being exceedingly cruel and um, and very negative about this program that they that they love. And everybody seemed to have the opinion that it should have been done differently and it should have been done better. And I can't help but think of the current. Doctor Who. I can't help but think of seasons 11 and 12 starring Jodie Whittaker as Doctor Who. That no matter what you do, um, you're all professionals making a professional program. And there is a segment of fandom for whom uh, it's not hitting them like they want it to. Uh, The bad part is that they're really personal and vitriolic and Instead of fan magazines trashing the producers and trashing the actors, as was the custom in Colin Baker's time, now they get on internet forums and they get on Twitter and they get uh, they get angry YouTube channels where they say that their beloved childhood classic is destroyed, and it it makes me sad. It makes me sad that as fans we didn't learn anything from the trial of a time lord, and we didn't learn anything from. Uh, this era, and that uh, this kind of history is cyclical. It's unfortunate. Uh, There's a lot to recommend in the Colin Baker era. 
And if you want to try uh, to rehabilitate your opinion, I heartily recommend any of Colin Baker's Big Finish audio plays where you get a gentler sort of a, 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 a pompous uncle kind of a characterization of the Sixth Doctor, but is the moral center of every story. And you get the compassion and the wit and the literary references that you want from this performance. And you don't get that coat. <laughs> and you get you get the warmth that you were denied by some questionable choices from the uh, producers. Uh, I, I say any of them, but I'm going to recommend one in particular. I'm going to ask that you find Jubilee by Robert Shearman. It's a Dalek story. It's... Uh, it's challenging morally, and I think that that makes for incredibly interesting listening. And uh, I, I just think that this is an era of the show that deserves a little bit more love than it gets, and that's what I'm here for. I'm not blind to the faults, but I also can put them in perspective and, ju- and find the things that are worth enjoying and just love them with all of my hearts. <laughs> Uh, We'll join you next time for No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. Looking for something new and exciting in comics? Perhaps that other dynamic duo, The Quick and the Dad. It's a love letter to the DC, Marvel, Archie, and Harvey comics of my youth. Available now in print and digital from IndiePlanet.com. Within the pages of The Quick and the Dad, you will find supervillains, dad jokes, strange, exciting worlds, really goofy supervillains, and bad puns. I promise. Each issue will delight and confound you in equal measure, and it's available now in print and digital from IndiePlanet.com.